I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Kurt Norquist is continuing his ongoing series of the Digital Matrix, his interviews with some of the most important people in technology. We love this series. We're glad that it's a part of USA Business Radio. Hello, and welcome to today's show. You are listening to The Digital Matrix, where Kurt talks to some of the brightest minds in the industry about the most advanced technology IT solutions available today to help your business thrive. Today's episode is brought to you by General Data Tech at www.gdt.com. You can also email the show at podcast at gdt.com. And now, to start the show from his secret podcast studio in City Center in Houston, Texas, here's your host, Kurt Nordquist. And thanks for joining us on the show today. I'm your host, Kurt Nordquist, Executive Director of Global Alliances at General Data Tech. Glad to have you back with us here on The Digital Matrix. We are now in the first week of September, September 7th to be exact. Let's look at what's happened around this date in history. In 1969, we saw the first building block of the Internet. The first interface message processor, this is known as the IMP, is delivered to Leonard Kleinrock's research group at UCLA. The IMP was the device that would interconnect networks between research facilities on developing what was known as ARPANET the precursor to what you now know as the Internet. As a packet-switching device, the IMP could be considered the first generation of what we now call network routers. On September 2nd, in 1993, the world's first primitive web search engine is started. Known as W3 Catalog, or the CUI WWW Catalog, it was started at the University of Geneva. This searchlight lasted for about three years, before more modernized search engines began appearing. Now, of course, the biggest one we use today, we have adapted to using the company name as a common verb. On September 3rd in 1995, eBay was founded. The online auction site originally launched as AuctionWeb by Pierre, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Omijar. The first item sold was a broken laser pointer. wasn't actually intended to sell, but rather to test the new site. Itself started as a hobby. Surprised that the item sold for $14.83, Pierre then contacted the buyer to make sure that he knew that the laser pointer was indeed broken. To which the buyer replied, and I quote, I'm a collector of broken laser pointers. From that first $14.83, Pierre is now worth billions of dollars. Kind of makes you want to clean out that closet or the garage. Never know what you have stashed away that could be worth something to somebody else. That's today's look back in tech history. Let's get on with the show. Founded in 2012, Arctic Wolf Networks is a cybersecurity company that provides security monitoring to detect and respond to cyber threats. The company monitors on-premises computers, networks, and cloud-based information assets from malicious activities such as cybercrime, ransomware, and malicious software attacks. Today's guest on the Digital Matrix is Christopher Fielder. He is the field CTO at Arctic Wolf. Christopher, thanks for joining us on the show today. It is Christopher, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. I generally go by Christopher. I don't correct people, though. But, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. 
Fantastic. My first name, Christopher, as well. have always gone by my middle name, Kurt. I had asked my parents, uh, why are you always calling me by my middle name? And Dad made it very easy. He said it was easier to shout. <laughs> I was one of those kids. Makes All right. Sense. Well, Christopher, Arctic Wolf uses the slogan, detect, respond, recover. Can you explain what MDR is and how it provides a holistic, integrated, and agile approach to improving a customer security posture? Sure. Managed detection and response is this idea of, you know, there's going to be a lot of great tools out there. There's going to be a lot of great uh, things that are happening in the world. But what we're seeing is there just aren't enough people in the industry right now to really use those tools and to respond to the threats. So that's kind of the gap that we're filling. And we're also seeing it as a foundational approach to cybersecurity, right? Managing the detection of threats in the environment and then being able to respond to them appropriately, you know, with uh, whatever is going on in that particular environment. Well, Arctic Wolf, they span thousands of installations globally. You process over 2 trillion security events weekly. That's such an amazing number. Yeah, and it's actually growing. So it's growing exponentially, but we're growing at scale. So we're actually designed to be able to take on just as much information as we can possibly get without any real delays or loss of our ability to respond. So we, you know, no matter how much we grow, we're still averaging around one to two to maybe three tickets per customer per week. So we're all about really cutting out that noise and making sure the customer only gets what they need from us. And what we find from that is that when a customer does hear from us, they go, oh, this is something that we need to take action on because I know that when they are contacting us, it's for an important event. We bring up a really good point as far as being able to reduce it down to just a few serious tickets. But in a recent report that I just read, and it comes to no surprise, right, that IT teams are overwhelmed. And this report said that over 40% of organizations receive more than 10,000 security alerts a day. Now, this really putting critical business operations at risk. So the MDR solutions, as you just mentioned, are but one way to combat these threats. What else does Arctic Wolf do to protect customers? Yeah, so we're able to monitor the environment really from a holistic approach. You know, there are some uh, tools and some services out there that really try to look at one area. They're like, well, the most important thing in the world is the endpoint, or all that matters is what's happening on the network traffic. And those are important pieces, but that's not all of it. So we have to base our service off of that holistic approach of saying, we want to see every corner, every area, everything that's involved with that environment the network, the endpoint, the cloud, the people, what are they doing? You know, we need to take the full approach so that we're able to provide that true context and actually identify everything, detect from every area of the environment. So Arctic Wolf is a service provider in, in what we would say, I think we would agree, is a very competitive market. What makes Arctic Wolf different? It is an incredibly competitive market, right? Right now, it's kind of like everybody that's out there that's in cybersecurity goes, well, I can provide a service too. I've got a few people that uh, aren't doing much during the day. Why can't they just respond to a few alerts and then send some emails? But Kurt, I know you've been in this industry for a while, so have I. And there is some, uh, some good service providers and there's some absolutely terrible service providers. And so building off of the foundation of, well, what is what is a good service look like, right? How do we provide the best service to a customer? That was kind of the foundation of how the company came about. So it was first and foremost a focus on the service and not tools. 
what we found is that there's too many tools out there. There's great tools out there, tools that can do amazing things. But if you don't have the hands to operate those tools, then the tools aren't really worth anything. So we went into this going, we don't want to be this, you know, split our focus between providing a tool and selling a tool and then a service on top of it. We want to take that neutral approach of we are a service first and foremost, and that is really all that we are. We build off of that by being vendor neutral, saying that, you know what, there are some that say you have to have this certain stack of tools that are out there. You have to work with these four or five endpoints, you know, these couple of network devices, maybe this one SIM. We don't take that approach. We say that whatever you have in your environment, we will work with. That way we kind of fit into every environment. And it's also, we are 100% channel, so we work with our partners very well because I know some partners like to work with certain tools they sell. Others like to work with other tools that they sell. And we want to work with all of those partners. We want to say, whatever works best for your customers, guess what? That works best for us as well. And then that all comes about through our concierge approach. That is what really separates us, is the concierge saying, you know what? We want to provide whatever it is you need from a security operations standpoint. We don't want to really limit our service to, well, we do these couple of things. We'll send you an email when we think something happens. We want to be there for you to make sure that your security operations are where they need to be to protect your environment. So I think Gartner agrees with you and your comment around tools. In their recent report, they talk about you know, many security teams have overinvested in this plethora of tools that are available. And as a result, they're also suffering from alert fatigue and, and that multiple console complexity. They're also facing the challenges in recruiting, believe it or not, and retaining these security operations analysts with the right set of skills and expertise that effectively utilize all these tools. You also mentioned vendor neutrality. What does that mean exactly? And does that mean you are entirely dependent upon third-party tools? Sure. So, you know, let me hit back on one thing you said there real quick, which is on so many alerts coming in and that idea of being alert to, right? I've experienced that firsthand. So my experience was I spent many years hands on keyboard as an actual security analyst. And there was a tool at the time. Um, I'm not going to name it, but let's just say it allowed for uh, orchestration of enterprise policies. People might know what I'm talking about. And I would get so many alerts that I actually created a rule in my email to just say, dump them all <laughs> directly to the, the delete box. And that happens because you get so overwhelmed. So that's one of the reasons we took that approach of saying, we only want to contact you if it's something that we have identified as being a true threat. And what do we mean by vendor neutrality? Are we dependent upon third-party tools? We are not entirely dependent upon third-party tools, but we don't sell tools. We do provide capabilities or the ability to see into an environment using our agent, but that agent is not a tool, not something that we sell outright, not something we say, well, you can have that tool, but you're not going to get our service. And we also have our network sensor and the ability to collect logs in the environment. So what we have found is that we really work in any environment. If you're a startup, a smaller business, something that's you know just getting getting off the ground, and you don't have a strong security stack, not a problem. In fact, we love that approach because we see ourselves coming in and being the foundation of your security structure. When it comes to would you rather have a stack full of tools and nobody that can run them, or people that can work with you know a lean set of tools, I'd rather have the people. The people that know what they're doing, they have the experience, and then can get the visibility into the environment and respond to it. And then you build the detailed stack on top of it. So that's kind of the approach that we take. 
And we also take that approach so that, you know, whatever tools they choose to build or whether they choose to include in their environment, we can absolutely work with. We can use for the visibility purposes, and then we can continue to provide the actionable outcomes from there. Well, I liked what you said about people. I mean, we certainly do not have a shortage of tools, but if you listen to just about every expert out there in the market, there are millions of unfilled jobs in the cybersecurity space. I feel very lucky. My daughter just got hired by one. She's about to finish up college, but I feel much better about what her future is looking like. And cybersecurity is, I mean, let's face it, a very fast-paced, ever-evolving industry. Are there any trends you're seeing in the market that you think people should be better aware of? Yeah, great question. So one of the things that I do in this role is research. What is going on in the market? What's going on in cybersecurity? And how can Arctic Wolf use that? But also, how can the industry use that? And we recently did a security trends report at the beginning of this year, where we did a wide survey. We were able to identify, well, what is actually happening right now? What are people talking about? And what do we need to be aware of? And one of the things that we found that was somewhat alarming is based around cloud security, right? What we found is that 99%, almost over 99%, 99.3% of organizations that are out there are using some form of cloud. I don't think that's groundbreaking, right? We all know everybody's moving towards the cloud. But what we also found was that less than 20%, so only 19% of organizations that we talked to are using some form of cloud security posture management and really securing their cloud. And that is really concerning, especially when we look at some of the trends that are going on with attacks and how they have a cloud component. You know, and what's happening, we think, we're hypothesizing here, but cloud adoption is happening so quickly because it can happen so quickly, right? You swipe a credit card, you fill out a requisition form, and you get a cloud component in your environment, a SaaS app, or maybe you add a whole new area to your environment with IaaS. But are you taking the time to really run that through your security team? Are you identifying gaps in your security posture? utilizing that cloud capability. And what we're finding is that's not always the case. In some case, the security team may not have full visibility into what's going on in those cloud areas. And that is kind of cause for alarm. So that is one thing that we want people to be aware of and just take a little bit more time to consider, well, am I really securing my cloud capability that's out there? What we also found is that there is a strong balance right now between both the sophisticated attacks that are being successful and the unsophisticated attacks that are being successful. So, yeah, there are a lot of attacks that are happening from things like zero days that we've seen and being able to exploit some weaknesses in software and ransomware is always a concern, right? But how is that getting in sometimes? Sometimes it's less sophisticated methods, the social engineering and the phishing. We found that phishing is the number one concern of almost every organization we spoke to. They're really concerned about, well, I put all this money into this tool stack. I put all this money into visibility. I pay for a service like MDR. But guess what? It just takes one individual clicking on a link and somebody may have access into the environment. And that is a major concern. Christopher, you just mentioned about the social engineering attacks and the phishing attacks being those less sophisticated methods that are being used to compromise environments. So what can CISOs do today to help mitigate that? Yeah, this is a difficult one, right? Because it is less uh, technologically advanced. But what I always recommend is first, foster a culture of trust and security awareness in your organization. Uh, I don't want to go too deep here, but I'll just give you an example. Like when I was a teenager, 
before I got into cybersecurity, I had a summer job. And I remember the first day of that job when we were having our orientation. The orientation was very much, if you do this, you'll be fired. If you do this, you'll be fired. If you do this, guess what? You're fired. It's very clear. <laughs> it's not a great culture to have. And I'm sure that's still happening in a lot of organizations. Hey, if you click on a link in an email, then you got to come talk to us. If you share information you shouldn't share, you're going to have to come talk to HR. And what happens there, what we've seen, is that they may accidentally click on a link. They may do something by accident because these you know, social engineers, these people that are really good at phishing, they are excellent at what they do. And it's very easy to manipulate a person or to trick them into doing something. And if you foster that culture of fear where you're not going to share that information with the team, then it's going to be too late. They're going to keep it quiet out of fear of losing in their job and then it's going to just multiply and become a major problem and you're not going to find out it was fishing until you do your root cause analysis where you could have fostered this culture of if you make a mistake we understand they are very good at what they do please come tell us immediately we can lay eyes on that machine identify what is happening and then move from there so i always recommend that and then develop a process of security awareness and I mean move beyond this once a year, do your security training, which everyone does, which is hit play on the video, walk away, get a cup of coffee, come back, and it's done, and then guess your way through the test, right? So many organizations do that, and it just doesn't really move the needle. That's why we actually at Arctic Wolf, if I can plug it for a second, we actually have a managed awareness component as well, where they are micro lessons of about three to five minutes per week. They hit on a single topic. We try to keep them humorous and light, but still educational so that they understand, okay, well, here's the problem. Here's what you need to learn. Here's how you overcome it. And being able to be uh, distributed in those dig digestible chunks like that just make it a little bit easier to learn and understand. And I think by keeping it somewhat humorous as well, it helps to keep that culture of you know trust. And you know this is a major thing, but it's not something we need to be so fearful of. Well, I mean, these, these are professionals. These, they seems like they always have one step ahead of us, and we almost feel like we're in a reactionary mode the whole time. All right, Christopher, when we look at the Arctic Wolf website or hear people from the company speak, such as yourselves, we hear two themes that come up quite frequently. The idea of concierge security, which you alluded to earlier, and this claim to end cyber risk. Besides marketing, what do those ideas mean exactly? Yes, absolutely. You know, I get this question a lot because we, we say these things both quite frequently. You know, our concierge security team and end cyber risk, and we really need to explain what those are. So first is this idea of concierge security, and there's two ways we can explain that. The way that I explain it is if you were to go through the process of developing your own security operations team, your own security operations center in your company, you put all the money in, you were able to hire the people to fully staff that sock. You should then be able, if you're a CISO or a CIO or somebody at the company, dip your head into that door and say, I need X, Y, and Z. I need a report on the latest threats. I need to know where we stand on this threat. I need to know how we stand with compliance, whatever it may be. And that team needs to be able to deliver that. In the same way, our concierge security team takes that same approach. When it's, what can you do for us? Our answer is, what do you need? What do we do to get you to that next level of your security operations? And how do we keep you improving as well? We call that our security journey, where there's no end 
to what we're going to do for you. We're going to make sure that every time we speak with you, you are in a better position than you were last time. How do we improve and how do we keep improving? And that leads to that next one, which is the idea of we want to end cyber risk. Cyber risk is an interesting one, right? Because if anyone has been doing this for a little while, you're aware of risk. Uh, if you've taken the CISSP or some of the other certs that are out there, they talk about risk and they say there's a lot of things that you can do with risk. You can mitigate the risk, you can reduce the risk, you can transfer the risk, you can accept the risk. But there's one thing that you can never do with risk, and that is end it, right, or terminate the risk. So why are we saying that we want to end cyber risk? And the idea is there, that is our goal, is to end cyber risk. And it is an impossible task. But we've set that as our, as our goal, as our impossible task. That way we know that there is no end in sight. We're going to keep striving for the impossible. We're going to keep pushing to say, okay, how do we get you to that next level? Okay, you're in a really good spot right now. You have a very strong security posture, but it's not perfect. And it can never be perfect. So what can we do to improve it a little bit more and a little bit more? And until we reach that goal, which we never will, of fully ending cyber risk, we're going to keep striving for that. So that's why we chose that as our tagline. So it really illustrates, you know, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, if you, if you step about six feet away from the wall, you go halfway and you go halfway and go halfway. You can keep going halfway to the end to infinity and never really fully big there. Absolutely. And again, you know, it's a endless goal for us, but one we're going to strive to achieve. Excellent. I'm speaking with Christopher Fielder, Field CTO at Arctic Wolf. Christopher, earlier I spoke about this security skills gap, the idea that, that there are more cybersecurity jobs than there are individuals to fill those jobs. So lately there's been some reports of this gap actually shrinking. What are your thoughts on that? Are we really starting to catch up to the demand for security talent? Yes. So I've read something similar as well. In fact, I've read a couple articles on that. And I'll tell you, it concerns me a little bit because I worry if it's reactionary and the idea of being so desperate to fill some of these positions, are we filling them with qualified candidates, right? There's a big difference here between filling a position and filling a position with somebody that is qualified. I'm sure there's somebody that's listening right now that can just imagine or they've been the experience of, okay, well, they filled that position, but it probably wasn't a person that was fully qualified for it based on their experience for whatever reason. They just needed to get a person in that position. So when I hear that the security skills gap is shrinking, what I'm hearing is that they are filling more of those jobs. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be with the right individuals. I think it's going to take quite a bit of time for us to really shrink that security skills gap in a meaningful way by getting more of this understanding and education in cybersecurity in you know, high school, more emphasis in college, in those individuals then getting out and entering the workforce. So it's going to take a little bit of time. I think we're putting more emphasis on that now, which is really important. But in the meantime, it's going to take a little bit of a, a struggle there. You know, what concerns me also about that is the idea if we are just, you know, filling a position to fill a position because we have to have somebody with the title of security analyst or we have to have an additional security analyst. If the person is not fully qualified and if they don't understand what they're doing, 
it can actually be somewhat detrimental to the organization, sure. right? It's that false sense of security of, are they watching? Are they able to respond? Do they know what to do in these situations? And it's unfair to them as well, because you're putting a lot of emphasis on them and you're putting a lot of weight on them to do something to protect the company they might not be fully fully prepared for that being said i'm also not against hiring position or hiring a person that may not be fully qualified for a position just you have to give them the ability to grow and learn and expand without just dropping everything on them and saying hey hit the ground running (laughs) it's on you now (laughs) Yeah, well, we've, we've all, you know, kind of chewed some of that dirt growing up, especially in this particular industry. So, you know, with the explosion of all of the threats that are out there, you have a ton of smaller businesses, startups who may not have the largest cybersecurity budget to go out and get those highly experienced people. How do they invest to get the most bang for their buck? Yes. So I would say don't fall into the tools trap, right? There's going to be a lot of things out there that are saying, our tool is the one that will solve all of your problems. And I've been doing this for 22 plus years now. And I will tell you, there is no tool that will solve all of your problems. Now, they can help quite a bit, but I would always recommend invest in people over tools. And I know that runs contrary to what I just said, right? We just talked about how there's a skills gap out there. It's difficult to hire people. Well, that's why organizations like Arctic Wolf exist. If you're not able to fill all those positions, then you can find a service provider that can fill all those positions for you. But if you get the foundation of good, qualified, educated people that know how to respond, know how to identify threats, I would always take that over a stack of tools that are just sitting there. We talked about this before, right? There's a very well-known attack that occurred years ago from a large uh, retailer. I don't want to call them out. But what they found once that massive attack happened is they went back and did the postmortem on it and found that the alerts for the attack were sitting in the consoles of the tools. They just didn't have a chance to identify them and respond to them in time. And that's why I say, you know, people are the key here. So get a strong foundation of people and then build your tool set, build your visibility around them and trust that they'll be able to do what they need to do. Uh, Second, I would say think like an attacker you know a lot of your gaps in your environment. You know a lot of your weaknesses and you know your crown jewels. You know what attackers are going to go after. So start to place emphasis around that. Really start to build your security posture uh, based on, you know, what is going to be the most important thing for me to protect? How do I invest in protecting those things? And then, you know, what are your largest areas of concern? So start to focus in on those areas. And I think that's going to help you quite a bit. So prior to the show, Christopher, you and I had a conversation and you had mentioned that you had recently completed some research into compliance trends in cybersecurity. What did you find out? Yeah, so we found a lot of things that we were somewhat aware of, but it was great to have the data behind it. We found that HIPAA is the number one most used compliance framework currently out there right now, which makes sense, right? Everyone's using HIPAA if they use any form of patient information. So we think about hospitals, of course, but also if you're a pharmacy and you're using patient information, if you're processing uh, insurance records, you're using that. So schools that have to maintain uh, patient information for students. So everyone has to fall under HIPAA. So that's most commonly one, uh, one that's currently being used. PCI was number two as well for everyone that's running credit cards, right? The payment card industry standards. And those we kind of had an idea, but again, it was great to have that data. 
What we also found were a few things that were a little bit concerning when it comes to compliance. So we found that almost 20% of the organizations that we talked to follow some form of compliance and have no idea why they follow that form of compliance. So they're like, hey, we're, we're meeting these compliance standards. We just don't know why. We're doing it because we're told to by somebody, and uh, I hope it's for a good reason. And I think that's a little concerning, right? Because, well, why are you actually putting in the effort? Are you putting money into doing that? Do you actually fall under those compliance standards? Are you meeting them correctly? If you don't know why you're doing it, I would certainly say just ask some questions. Look into it. Maybe that'll help drive, you know, if you're doing the right thing or maybe helping to expand your compliance, uh, your compliance job there. And then what we also found was that 24% of organizations that are out there right now don't devote anyone to compliance full-time. So they say, yes, we fall under compliance standards. We have to meet these compliance standards. We can be fined if we fail compliance audit, but we just don't have enough individuals to say somebody needs to be in charge of compliance. They say, we'll get around to it. When we get around to it, we'll make our best effort. We'll probably accept the fact. In fact, we talked to a few organizations that said that they work fines into their budget, knowing that they are going to have to pay fines. And that's just not the right approach when it comes to compliance, right? We need to say this is an important feature, something we need to dedicate people to if we can. There are services out there that can help you with compliance. Again, plugging Arctic Wolf. Arctic Wolf does have the ability to help out with compliance and meeting those compliance requirements and running compliance reports if necessary. But it is a major important uh, feature of cybersecurity. So you mentioned a lot there about obtaining compliance, you know, keeping it is also a whole other responsibility. Stopping threats is only part of the job for the CISO. Are there some common misconceptions when it comes to compliance? Yeah, I think a big one is this idea that compliance equals security. So I worked with somebody that's been with Article for quite a while now, and he, whenever he's talking about compliance, says compliance is not security and security is not compliance. They work in the same sphere, but they are not the same thing. So where some organizations say, you know what, we don't have any individual that's assigned to compliance full-time, we found that 32% of organizations have full compliance teams and they are dedicated full-on to meeting those compliance standards. And that's great, I just don't want them to believe that by meeting the compliance standards, they have also made themselves secure or fully enhanced their security posture. Really, compliance is one step towards achieving a level of security, but we can almost think of it like minimum standards, right? Sure. Uh, I see compliance almost like, okay, you graduated high school. That doesn't mean that you're always ready to go right out in the workforce or that you are an expert in your field. You still need to go to college. You still need to learn more. You still need to take those extra steps. Yes, you've shown that you've met a minimum set of requirements, but those are a minimum set of requirements. And there's not an attacker or a threat actor in this world that's going to go, oh, I'm not going to attack them because they've met compliance standards. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> You're doing it just to show that you are attempting, but you need to do your due diligence. You need to take it a step further. And it's ongoing, right? So it's like, the threats that we're looking at today with the technology that we're using today, five years from now, that's going to look extremely different. The landscape will certainly have changed. Is Absolutely. There any... And sometimes the compliance standards can stay somewhat static, right? Yeah, which not to anybody's benefit. <laughs> Is there any other additional research that you're working on? 
Yeah, so we're doing some research right now that we hope to have out in the next couple of months. What we found is in, there's a big trend going on with cyber insurance. Companies that are moving towards cyber insurance as somewhat of a safety net, uh, investing in cyber insurance. But we found there's not a lot of research or stats out there right now on cyber insurance. So we're digging more into that. You know, we're talking to a lot of individuals, doing some research and gathering some survey results. And I can share with you, you know, some of the basic information that we found so far on cyber insurance and what really sparked this additional research. What we found is that 33% of organizations that we've spoken with maintain some form of cyber insurance policy. What we found is that 33% of organizations don't maintain some form of cyber insurance policy out there right now. So that's almost exactly one third of organizations are really just doing this on their own without that, what we'll call a safety net. Uh, ransomware is a major concern, what we found, and ransomware is not a cheap thing. One of the benefits of a cyber insurance policy is that if you are hit with ransomware, they can help facilitate certain aspects of that, whether it's negotiating the price down or covering the price of the ransom. If you don't have a cyber insurance policy, you're really on your own in the same way, right? If you were to wreck your car, guess what? You have to pay for all the damage by yourself. So about a third are not utilizing a policy. We found that about 2 to 3% of organizations that we talk to, which don't sound like a lot until we understand what this is, 2 to 3% have actually had their policy canceled on them by the policy provider. So they're saying, you know what, you are not worth our time or you're costing us too much money or whatever it is. So they actually revoke that policy. And that's a little concerning right there. And then 28% of organizations, so again, almost a third, not quite, but 28% of organizations are seeing yearly cost increases of their cyber insurance policy. So our research right now is digging more into this of, well, why are you not maintaining a policy? Or what do you think the reason is for those policy increases? Why did you have your policy dropped? And just expanding on that, because we want to know really what is happening in this world of cyber insurance. That's amazing. Christopher, where can our listeners go to get more information on Arctic Wolf's great solutions we spoke about today? Yeah, check out our website, arcticwolf.com. Uh, while you're there, check out the page that lists all of our webinars and events. You know, we try to go to all the major events around the United States. We're also expanding out into Europe and other areas of the world, so we will have representation there. We do a lot of outreach and webinars. We develop these reports that you can find on our website. And you can always reach out to anybody that's an Arctic Wolf. We're always more than happy to speak with you. Uh, I'm available as well, so you can reach out to me. And we want to see, you know, what can we do to help you out? And if you have any questions, let us know. Great stuff. Thank you, Christopher. Great having you on the show with us today. Really appreciate you taking the time. I'm more than happy to do it. I look forward to uh, hearing this. For more information on Arctic Wolf Security Solutions, visit their website at arcticwolf.com. If you would like to see a demo or put together proof of concept, you can visit us at gdt.com. We'll bring the technical experts to the table to walk you through it. You can even reach me at the show by email at podcast at gdt.com. For Christopher Fielder, I'm Kurt Nordquist, and this is The Digital Matrix. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Digital Matrix with Kurt Nordquist. For more information on the technologies discussed on today's show, you can email Kurt at podcast at gdt.com. 
please be sure to follow us at The Digital Matrix for more cool tech content on future podcasts.